Chapter 36 of Mabel Ross, The Sewing Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 36 The AIDS Society. A partial success attended the efforts of both the sisters on the Monday morning, Mabel procuring a small supply of work from one of her old customers, and Hilda from Mrs. Powers, the person with whom they formerly lodged. Mrs. Powers received the young girl so kindly as quite touched Hilda, who had almost expected to be forgotten by her old landlady, and gave her work that she had intended to do herself. In fact, knowing that Mrs. Powers was altogether accustomed to do her own sewing, Hilda had scarcely thought it possible her visit to her would result in procuring the aid she so much needed. "'It's, after all, those who have known trouble themselves who the most feel for others,' was the reflection of the young girl as she hurried home with her precious parcel. Poor Mrs. Powers! She has the time to give to this work, and scarcely the money to pay for it being done. Late on Tuesday afternoon, Mabel had completed the task she had allotted herself, and leaving her little Lily to the care of Hilda, she went to carry it home. The person by whom the work was given her lived a considerable distance from Polk Street, and Mabel was some time on the road, though she made all possible speed. Her employer was from home when the young girl arrived there, but being informed she was expected back in a short time, Mabel concluded to await her coming, not wishing to return another time for the pay. The short time named lengthened itself to nearly an hour, and after that a good deal of delay was made through the proprietor looking over the work and demurring about the price to be paid for it. Mabel's demand was for a dollar and three shillings, which her employer thought too much. The latter finally dismissed her with nine shillings, as she might as well have done at first, since she had quite resolved to bring the amount to what satisfied herself. Upon glancing at the timepiece in the hall, as she was about to leave, Mabel was dismayed to find it nearly eight o'clock. Wrapping her cloak closely as possible about her, for it was a particularly cold evening, and she had become warm through her long stay in the house, she hurried along briskly as she could, thinking of little Lily, disappointed at taking her supper without her, and of her own disappointment at carrying with her two shillings short of the money she had looked for. Only two shillings? Yes, but the comparatively little sum was much to this poor girl, so much that the absence of it from her little portemonnaie made the cold air which pierced her scant cloak seem more stinging to her, the good, hoping heart within her breast less light. She had proceeded but a few squares, when a gentleman about passing turned and looked in her face, then paused and joined her. It was young Ralph Barrett. "'Miss Ross, is it possible?' he said. "'So late, and I expect, too, quite far from your home.' In as few words as possible, Mabel, who had slackened her pace, explained that she had been detained, then, adding that she was in much haste, endeavoured to pass on. Young Barrett, however, either did not perceive her desire to avoid him, or chose to disregard it, for he quickened his steps with her own, and remarked that there was no occasion to distress herself by so much haste, as he would certainly accompany her home. "'There is no need,' Mabel coldly rejoined, abruptly pausing. "'Indeed, Mr. Barrett, I insist that you go no further with me.' Ralph began something about her long walk, and the lateness of the hour— but Mabel interrupted him. "'You forget, Mr. Barrett,' she said, "'that I am but a poor sewing girl, "'and that, like others, "'I must get accustomed to such inconveniences. 
I beg you will leave me. Pray, let me accompany you, he rejoined quite earnestly. I have been wishing to learn your residence on account of my mother. I believe she wishes to write, to send to you. Mabel stopped once more, and said, in a tone so firm as to admit of no further question, I shall certainly continue my walk alone, Mr. Barrett. I insist, too, that you do not follow me. With these words said, she hurried forward, infinitely relieved to perceive no footsteps in her wake. The Thursday week came round, and Mabel went to visit Mrs. Graith. She had been able to procure but very little sewing in the meanwhile, so little that, the hope of this lady failing her, she knew not from whence was to come money for the next coal, in a day or two wanting, or to keep herself and Hilda in the bread and potatoes, long their only fare, or, worse than all, poor little Lily in the medicine and food necessary for her existence. Hilda had been rather more successful than herself, for, through the efforts of Mrs. Powers, she had been kept in a tolerably good supply of coarser work, such as her old landlady could procure from her own humble friends. The lady president was in her library at the time of Mabel's coming, engaged in writing up minutes of the last meeting of the Society of the Ladies of Chicago for Promotion of Honest Industry, the secretary of that society being indisposed. Into that apartment, her name having first been carried to Mrs. Graith by the servant, Mabel was shown. The lady president sat formally at her secretary, her gold pen in her hand, quite a formidable number of business-like-looking blank books before her, and an expression of severity on her countenance that made it appear yet more forbidding than upon the occasion of Mabel's former visit. From the moment her cold, stern eye fell upon the young sewing girl, all hope of receiving the aid she so much needed deserted poor Mabel. This was crushing enough, but she was unprepared for the more crushing decision to which the judicious committee which had considered her case had come. It had been said that the lady president cast a stern eye upon her young visitor. She accompanied the look with no word, only resting her hand with the gold pen in a way that seemed to promise some words should presently follow, and bracing her form to a yet more rigid formality. Perhaps she was mercifully unwilling that the whole weight of her condemnation should fall at once upon its victim, and thus gave Mabel opportunity to surmise from her look what was to follow. It was Mabel who first spoke. You said I might call again in a couple of weeks, Mrs. Graith. Yes, and I am glad you have come. The sooner so painful a business is gotten through with, the better. Mabel Ross, and the voice of the lady president took a declamatory tone. For two weeks, the valuable time of the members of our society has been taken up in investigating the character of yourself and your sister, and in looking into the surroundings of your present position. Fortunately, for the prevention of further time being wasted on objects entirely unworthy our humane consideration, a discovery has, at this early stage, been made which settles further question. You were seen on the evening of Tuesday week by two persons of undoubted veracity in company with a young man named Ralph Barrett, 
and as this young man's character is quite below a questionable one, and he also occupies a position in wealth and society, which makes it impossible he should seek your company with any justifiable motive, your being seen together is quite enough to stigmatize you as entirely unworthy the patronage of the Society of the Ladies of Chicago for Promotion of Honest Industry. For a moment, the unhappy Mabel was so discomposed by this turning to her discredit, the annoyance to which she had been subjected by young Barrett, that she was without power to speak. Soon as she could in a manner recover herself, she hastened to make explanation of the facts as they were, her face pale and her voice trembling with agitation. "'Believe me, the facts are just as I have stated,' she said in conclusion, and— had the persons who saw me in company with Mr. Barrett taken the trouble to observe a little more, as, oh, surely they should have done when the character of a poor girl was at stake, they would have learned that I considered his joining me an intrusion, and that I positively prohibited his accompanying me further. I am not prepared to say I consider you a positively vicious girl, Mabel Ross, rejoined Mrs. Graith, nor have the committee come to such a conclusion, but you certainly are a particularly imprudent one, and we feel that being so, you have put an affront upon our society by soliciting its favor as a reliable young person. Like many another, you have been enticed by the notice of a young man of means like Ralph Barrett, and believed he thought of elevating you to his own position. Vanity and a wish to get above the cares of a sewing girl have induced you to encourage advances positively ruinous to your reputation. Oh, don't, don't judge me so harshly, exclaimed poor Mabel. I assure you, from the hour of my dear mother's death, I have had no thought but to make an honest livelihood for myself and those dependent on me, and to set a fair example to my younger sisters. Think this over again, Mrs. Graith, and in mercy give me the work I so much need. You have a daughter of your own. Some chance might impoverish her, as I and my sisters have been impoverished, you would wish strangers to look kindly upon her. Rich or poor, my daughter could never be tempted to make a companion of a young man of the character of Ralph Barrett, proudly rejoined Mrs. Graith, though unable, through the duties of my office, to personally attend to her training, I have placed her in hands I can confidently rely on. The lady you saw her with is her governess, Madame Jeanvois, and a person of the highest principles and refinement of character. Don't speak to me of my daughter Mabel Ross, for there are no circumstances which could place her in a position parallel to the one you occupy at present. Notwithstanding the crushing weight of this reply, Mabel's despair gave her courage to try one more appeal to the obdurate lady. "'Mrs. Graith, you say you don't think any positive ill of me,' she said. "'Can you not then give me aid, if not for myself, for the poor child, 
God knows, perhaps dying, who, at five years old, is helpless as a babe and altogether dependent on my efforts. I see your Bible beside you, ma'am, and you tell me your society is for the encouragement of virtue among the suffering and needy. Surely then you are a good woman, and a good woman must feel for those suffering as we are. Think of the little sister left me by a dying mother, that child suffering in a way terrible to see, and with a near prospect of being without a home and without the necessaries of life. Think of her only, think not of me, and surely, surely you will see that, even were I the vicious person you acknowledge you do not think me, that child claims your pity as a Christian woman. I have but two shillings for present use, and no immediate prospect of getting more. My rent will soon be due. My little coal is almost exhausted. But two shillings are between us all and want of bread. Give me, oh, give me work, Mrs. Graith, in mercy, and to prevent such misery as you know not of. Give me work. Mrs. Graith was shaken out of none of her rigidity by this appeal. What more she said was to prove her still inexorable. The committee had considered the case, and the ladies of the society never went back, as the lady president expressed it over a decision. We do nothing in a hurry, she said. We act discreetly and make sure of our ground before we act, and to change our decision would imply that we have acted with injudicious haste. Yours may be a hard case, Mabel Ross, but not harder than a great many others that come under our notice, and that we have to deal with according to our laws and by-laws. The members of the Society of the Ladies of Chicago for Promotion of Honest Industry will be firm to their principles, whatever individual suffering may be the result. How Mabel got home, she scarcely knew. But arrived there, she threw her arms about the neck of Hilda and gave way to the tears until now suppressed. Hilda was almost frightened to see her patiently abiding sister acting in a manner so contrary to her usual habit. Through soothing and questioning, she presently drew from the weeping girl the cause of her distress. "'She's a cruel, hard-hearted, hypocritical, and selfishly absurd woman!' Hilda exclaimed, forgetting, in her indignation, that moderation of speech she had resolved upon. I expected no help from her and her society, but never dreamed of such an affront as this. It makes my blood boil, Mabel, to think of her daring to cast suspicion upon a pure-minded girl like you. What I think so hard, sobbed poor Mabel, is that Though she allowed she doesn't think really ill of me, she wouldn't give me work, even for the sake of our poor Lily. Oh, Hilda, what an unhappy chance was Ralph Barrett's meeting me that Tuesday evening. But for that, I should have got plenty of work, and all would have gone well with us. Another wrong to lay to the score of the Barretts, exclaimed Hilda. You look reprovingly, Mabel but I'm too new in self-discipline to be always prepared with the right words. Perhaps this Ralph Barrett has meant no harm. 
Perhaps his mother is not the selfish, hard woman she seems. But appearances are against them, and I can't help but see it and feel it. Mabel had ceased her weeping. She placed her hand gently on that of Hilda. Say or feel nothing, dear Hilda, that looks like bearing malice or ill will, she said. If they have meant us wrong, there is another than us to take count of it. Oh, my sister, we are so momentarily at God's mercy, looking so anxiously each hour for his help. Let us do nothing that may lessen his pity for us, that may tempt him, for our chastisement, to let the burden press yet harder upon us. End of chapter 36